0: Turn to Matthew chapter 7, we continue with this series through the psalm on the mount. uh, Now we come to the final chapter, Matthew 7, and uh,
1: I will read verse 1 to 6, and then preach from verse 1 to 5. This is God's word.
0: Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log? that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pals before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, and turn to attack you. Thus for the reading of the scriptures, let us
1: please pray. All of us, O Lord, are grass, and in our glory we are
0: like the flowers of the field. There is no way we would have self-righteousness that allows us to have access with you as we do have right now. There is nothing on our part that would make it possible for us because of our own efforts to call you Abba. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope. Hope and assurance of hope that he who has begun the good work in us is faithful to bring it to accomplishment. O Lord, help us,
1: search us by your word, and show any
0: anxious thoughts that we have. Lead us, O Lord, into the paths to everlasting life. Kindly grant. That we would respond aright to your word, because your word abides forever. Teach us, O oh Lord, to say, "Oh how I love you!" Lord. it is my meditation all day long. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this final chapter, to in the sermon on the mount today verse one to five of chapter seven, I would like to ask the question, are you sinfully judging your brothers? And hopefully we will be able to see some reasons and remedies for judgmentalism.
1: This section of the Sermon on the Mount, could
0: look disjointed to many people. One may wonder, what is the relationship between what we have just been going through in chapter 6? Do not be anxious. God will provide for you. Do not ask anxiously, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then from that, having been told tomorrow will be anxious for its own cares, we move into this section where you're told, judge not. And one may wonder, what's the relationship? And whereas the relationship between chapter 5 and chapter 5, 6 with chapter 7 is not immediately clear, apparently clear, there is still nevertheless a relationship. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is being brought to the disciples in a context where Christ has said, the kingdom of God is here. And this kingdom of God that is present is a kingdom that is powerful. And then now in the Sermon on the Mount, this present and powerful kingdom of God requires this pattern of life from those who are members of that kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount presents the pattern, the life of those who are part of this present and powerful kingdom of God. Now as we are told this is the pattern that marks out those who are in the kingdom of God. These are the demands for superior righteousness. These are the demands for perfection. These are the demands for love that are found in the lives of those who are true disciples. There are excesses that could come out of that. The demand for superior righteousness, the demand for perfection, which is part and parcel of that life that has a righteousness that is higher than that of the Pharisee can foster a judgmental attitude. And the Lord addresses that in verse 1 to 5. Yes, I have called you to a life that is righteous, a righteousness that is higher than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, the Lord has called you to that. But that call to a superior righteousness and perfection must not foster a judgmental attitude in your heart. Verse 1 to 5 of chapter 7 will address that. But then verse 6 also will address something else. While demands of love from you are very, demands for love are very clear from, from the Lord towards us as disciples. If somebody slaps one cheek, give the other, and such things. The demands for love are very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. But the demands for love are not an excuse for you to lack real discernment, which he will address. In verse six, do not give dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs in fact as you look at chapter 7 you will see a number of relationships
1: there you will see seven
0: relationships in chapter 7 being addressed in verse 1 to 6 the relationship to this particular person described in verse 3 and 4 and 5 as your brother, whether they are your brother because they are in the fellowship or whether they are your brother because they are a fellow human being, your relationship to this person described as brother is addressed. In verse 6, your relationship with these people described here as dogs and swines. Is addressed. And then your relationship to God in verse 7 in prayer is addressed. And then your relationship, that's in verse 7. Verse 15 addresses your relationship to false prophets. And then verse 28 would address our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in his authority as our lawgiver. In fact, there's a relationship also addressed there in the golden rule that touches on your relationship with all humanity. We are there in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this, Is the law and the prophet. So there is progression here, not very clear, but I think we can be able to see that the Lord here is protecting us from a judgmental attitude that could sprout out of that call to a righteousness, a superior righteousness, and perfection. And the Lord Jesus Christ prohibits. Judgmentalism, and this prohibition should not be taken as prohibiting all judging or prohibiting discernment of what is right or wrong. This is not a command that is telling you suspend your critical faculties. This section does not stop, does not preclude, does not prevent the exercising of moral judgment or your critical faculties or even urge you to become blind to important issues. These words of Christ do not contain an absolute prohibition against judging because there are those who have taken this to mean that particularly when it comes to sexual conduct. That is the one commandment where this is really misused. You will hear people say, do not judge me when it comes to their sexual conduct. But these very people would never say it is wrong to judge somebody who has broken into a bank and robbed it. These very people would never say it is wrong to judge a murderer. They would not say, don't judge me, when dealing with their perspectives on those other commandments. The Lord here is curing a disease, a disease which is natural to all of us we have a tendency to flatter ourselves and then severely disapprove denounce or censure others we have a tendency to look at our own scenes using a telescope in fact using the wrong side of the telescope but we have a tendency to look at the scenes of others with a microscope and the Lord is curing us of that inclination that we sadly all struggle with. There are some very sad vices that are enjoined that hang upon that tendency we have to flatter ourselves while denouncing others. We find it enjoyable to inquire desirable to inquire into other people's faults. And we acknowledge so quickly how such faults are intolerable evils. And as we do that, we are usually very
1: busy overlooking our own vices.
0: And being very harsh with our brothers. Judgmentalism is a thing that the Lord is addressing here. And I have three points. I would like to very briefly state them and uh, uh, go through them. Why do we see sinful judgmentalism? What are some of the reasons? I propose three from this section between verse one to five. One of the reasons, is we do not truly see ourselves as we ought to see ourselves in God's presence. A failure to see yourself clearly, to see yourself clearly before God will bring about a judgmental attitude. And we must see If we are going to avoid sinful judgmentalism, we must see God's holiness and we must see God's commandments. Verse one and two say, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you
1: judge not and judge not there is
0: in the present tense it's an imperative in the present tense and one wonders what are the implications of the use of a present tense negative command does it indicate that it is a command for us to stop doing something that we are already doing. Stop judging would be that, that sense there. Of course, it's also a prohibition from making this practice, a prohibition against doing it. This present tense means that we should stop judging others. It means that, the, that we should not make a practice of judging others.
1: So he is not just addressing a single unjust judgment that
0: has been made, but the present tense. Seems to me to mean he is addressing a habit, a habit of judgmentalism, especially that kind of judging where one is blind to his or her
1: own faults. He says, Judge
0: not that you be not judged. But the question we need to ask ourselves is be not judged by who? Who is going to judge here? Who'd judge the person who is judgmental? Who would be the one who'd judge this person who is censorious? Who is the person who'd judge this person who has this habit of judgmentalism? answer is God is the one who will judge such a person. Jesus here is not telling you, I'm giving you this command in order to protect you from the danger of reciprocal criticism. He is not telling you this commandment is to protect you from others criticizing you. That's not the primary thing the negative, the, the passive sense in which you'd be judged as a way it indicates that it is God who will judge the judgmental person. And he is saying in verse two, in the way you judge,
1: you will be judged. You will be treated
0: as you treat others. And who will treat you thus? God will be as hard on you as you are on others. God will judge you with the same severity with which you judge others. This is the first reason for not judging. He is saying by judgmentalism, you set the standard of your own
1: judgment.
0: Does this mean that you can escape from the day of judgment by choosing not to judge others? Of course not. The analogy of scripture, the analogy of faith is very clear. Each one of us will be judged by God. So how then would this apply to the Christian? Because a Christian would enter heaven and uh, based on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that very Christian who has been severe in judgmentalism is here being warned that they would be judged strongly. I think scripture would teach a number of things. There is a judgment of rewards. And perhaps that's what would be in view here with regards to the Christian. It's not the judgment of separation that will separate the sheep from the goat, but the judgment of rewards. It is accountability. James 3.1 is very clear. A few of us should be teachers because the teacher would be judged
1: more strictly
0: by judging others we say we are an authority we have understood the law therefore
1: we have no excuse is it romans 2 you
0: who judge do you yet steal we are of no excuse who as we teach do not steal will we steal There is no excuse, and I think we need here to realize that the judgmental person does not see themselves clearly. They do not see themselves as standing in the presence of God, because God is the ultimate judge, and the God who is the ultimate judge is going to hold us up to the standard that we have held up others to. But he is going to demand that we live a life of holiness just as we do demand that of others. And where we have unfairly been critical of others, where we have been censorious, where we have sort of put people down based on standards that as we will see in a short while are wrongly prioritized and unfair, he tells us we need to ask ourselves if God treated you the way you are treating others with regards to holding them up to a high standard. In fact, maybe let me put it this way, holding them up unfairly to a high standard, would you stand? As we will see in a short while, judging is not the wrong thing. Because verse 6 surely demands that we judge. Verse 6 demands that we are able to distinguish between those who are described there in verse 6 as dogs and swines, and those who are not. Surely verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, demands that we are alert and are able to distinguish between those who are true prophets and those who are false prophets. And as you will see verse five, actually, does not say it is wrong for you to correct your brother. It actually will require you to correct your brother. It will require you to more than just see the speck. Verse 5 will require you to conduct this very delicate
1: task of removing
0: a speck from your brother's eye. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 requires this, that you judge. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is not a call to dispense with all forms of judging. But it is a call for us to realize that we are finite. And whereas we are dealing with other human beings, we need to remember we are finite and there is the infinite God. And we will stand before him. And we also need to remember we are fallible. We are sinful. And we will stand before the thrice holy God who will demand from us a life of holiness. So surely we cannot be proud. We cannot be chest-thumping as we are dealing with others, as if we have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's ourselves. We must judge that judgmentalism is not allowed. Because the, the, this particular person who would have a judgmental attitude has forgotten that he is not God, has forgotten
1: that she is a sinner. Secondly, a second reason for judgmentalism has to do with prioritization
0: a failure to see your own need for holiness as the priority
1: to pursue? Do you see your own need for holiness as the priority? Because you must see yourself
0: with humility, you must see yourself from a perspective of a humble and a contrite, repentant heart. The Lord Jesus Christ asks, why do you see?
1: In verse 3, why
0: do you see? Why do you look at? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? that see is in the present active tense. To see well, why do you focus on? Why do you see frequently? In the sense of you take notice of it and gaze upon something. The speck, what's the speck here? Other, other translations? would say moat or chip, a piece of sawdust. Why do you see a piece of sawdust? The noun there,
1: speck, denotes
0: a small piece of wood. Why do you see the small piece of wood, the chaff or even straw? that is in your brother's eye." Brothers. Why do you see the speck that is in your brothers, your fellow disciples, another believer? The noun denotes, the noun brother would denote a person who lives close besides others. A person who is part of a so called in group, a person with which, a person, a person, a group, uh, in other words, he is in a group with which he identifies. He identifies with that group ethnically, he identifies with that group culturally. Brother, why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye,
1: you gaze at it, you meditate upon it, but do not notice, you do not consider, you fail to see, you have no thought for the log that is in your own eye. then he asks in verse
0: four, or how can you say? In other words, in what way can you say? With what right can you say? Or how dare you say? Or how can you even think
1: of saying to your brother, let me
0: take the speck out of your eye. When, with the force of when all the time, There is a log in your eye. So it's not like you've removed the log and hidden it when you're going to your brother to say, let me remove the speck from your eye. The beam is grotesquely hanging out of your eye. You've not removed it and hidden it while you're doing it. Verse 5 says, you hypocrite. In other words, you pretender. You are nothing but a show-off is what is the force there. You are pretending to be other than what you really are. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then, so you see two words there that indicate priority. Fast, the word first, and the word then. Fast and then. And we are going to see that taking out the speck from our brother's eye clearly is a secondary priority. It is a priority, and we are going to deal with that in the third point. It is a priority. It needs to be done. It's unloving not to do it. But it is a secondary priority. The Lord is saying, see that your own need for holiness is the priority. You must, is the, is the first thing to pursue. You must see yourself with humility.
1: Because he is
0: saying from his holy standards, point number one, the thing that you see in your brother's
1: eye is made up of the same material of the thing that is in your eye.
0: But what is in his eye is, metaphorically speaking, insignificant or slight in comparison with what is in your eye. Because what is in your eye is not a speck, it is not a straw, it is not a chaff piece of chaff. It is a log, a huge log, again, metaphorically speaking. Here, the Lord wants us to see that our own failures are outrageously huge. He wants us to realize we have our own sizable moral defects. We have our own huge, enormous sins permitted against God. And he employs this hyperbole, this exaggeration to drive that point home. And he says, how do you do this? How do you just walk to somebody with a pole out of your eye and tell them, let me take the speck out of your eye? when there is a log in yours. It is impossible. How do you do that? He's saying that is really an impossibility because of how absurd it is. How can somebody with a plank in his eye pose such a question to another with only a speck in his eye? And he says, this is hypocrisy. A person who pretends to be good is a hypocrite. Who pretends to be good but is actually evil and knows that he is being deceptive is a hypocrite. But some hypocrites have self-deceived themselves. Some hypocrites are people who have been carried away by their own acting
1: by their own sins and they have deceived themselves
0: into thinking that they are okay and they're only acting in the best interest of God and man. And they may even succeed at deceiving on Lucas. But let's remember the first point, where we said God is holy.
1: Perhaps our brother might not see the pole, but God does see it. He asks two rhetorical questions.
0: How can you do this? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your eye?
1: but how can you say to your brother,
0: He goes on there in verse four. And these two rhetorical questions paint to us the lack of wisdom, the foolishness in judgmentalism.
1: And he's saying, please see how
0: incomparably high, incomparably greater God's judgment is than man's judgment
1: and therefore or
0: consequently how unwise it is for you to be sinfully judgmental to your neighbor
1: perhaps there is even a worse plague here because of the use of the word hypocrite there are those who think that when they condemn others, then they acquire
0: the liberty to continue sinning.
1: They condemn others, they condemn others,
0: and one day the fruit of their sin is made public. We're always so shocked.
1: Let us be humble. let us realize that our own need for holiness is a very high priority. Because while we are too quick at discerning the faults of others,
0: while we are quick not only to employ a severe, but unintentionally exaggerated,
1: judgment at them while throwing our sins at our backs
0: or ingeniously making apologies for our sins making excuses giving excuses for our sins the pole is all out there and everyone is seeing it and we are all flabbergasted just joes dropped And we convincingly excuse the reason why the pole is out of our eye. And we find a way of encouraging the chap with the speck in their eye to put to the back banner the fact that there is a pole out of our eye. We may be ingenious in such ways, but the Lord is saying this is a very gross offense we must realize that we need to be holy ourselves.
1: We must pursue our
0: holiness with humility and with contrite hearts. The third reason why there is sinful judgmentalism in the brotherhood is because we do not see the sins of others with
1: biblical purposefulness. When we see the sins
0: of others, it is so that we can truly help them. It is so that we can be of a truly helpful correction to them. And so when the Lord is saying, deal with your sins, it is so that you don't just see the sins of others, but you see them clearly. You hypocrite first, you see, in in verse 3, why do you see the speck? In verse 5, the language used with regards to that speck is seeing it clearly and then you will see clearly, respect, and you will not just see it and see it clearly, but having dealt with the pole coming out of your own eye, you will be at a place where you are enabled to do this very delicate operation. I mean the third point. You hypocrite, first take out the log First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This last instruction, because there is an instruction here, indicates what was
1: the primary fault.
0: In this judgmental person. The Lord's intention was not to forbid mutual discipline in which a brother would be restored
1: in a spirit of gentleness. This addition,
0: in fact, encourages both. Self discipline, remove the speck, remove the pole, remove the log out of your own eye, self discipline. And it also encourages mutual discipline. Help
1: others who have this problem.
0: After you have remedied your own shortcomings, you may then in turn, be of help to others with regards
1: to their shortcomings. In fact,
0: you will be more charitable in dealing with others with regards to their shortcomings. You personally know how uncomfortable it is to have something in your eye. And so you are kind and charitable and loving as you remove. Has somebody ever removed something from your eye? It's scary. Both the person removing it and the person who has the thing in their eye
1: find it very uncomfortable.
0: But you want the thing out nevertheless. It's so uncomfortable having it there that even though the procedure for removing it is difficult, you still allow for that to be done. And the person who has previously dealt with the whole log out of their own eye, because they so the standard of God's holiness in point one. And whereas you guys might not be seeing it as the log that it is, I know that from God's perspective, this seemingly uh, thing that this thing that has been made of the same material in your eye is ugly before God's sight. And because of His holiness, I've dealt with it. When I am in that place, then my inclination would be I would be very charitable. The Lord does not just stop at telling us, then you will see the speck in your brother's eye clearly. No, he says, go beyond that. You'll be able to take the speck out of your brother's Part of the reason why there is sinful judgmentalism at times is because there's no commitment to do that last part. We behave at times like flies would do with a wound. We just enjoy hovering around this wound and we do nothing to it. In fact, we make it worse. The Christian thing to do is not to delight in knowing the shortcomings of others. The Christian thing to do is not to find it enjoyable to gossip about the shortcomings of others. The Christian thing to do is to see ourselves before the thrice holy God. To see our own sinfulness. To plead with the Lord for our own sanctification. And having seen the speck in someone else's eye,
1: Having seen it clearly, then to go
0: and become the oculist who does this challenging procedure of restoring
1: our fellow brother or sister to the Lord. Have you been judgmental this week
0: in a sinful way? In a way? That you know before the Lord you'd be indicted if the same standard was used against you? Would you be happy for the Lord to use against you the very standards you've used against your brothers this week?
1: If no, what are you going to do about it?
0: Ask the Lord for forgiveness where you've sinned against your brother, you know you've hurt him, you've hurt her by the way you've done things. Is it, isn't it only fair to even ask for forgiveness from
1: them? And then,
0: to still commit to assist one another by fostering an environment where Self-discipline is accepted as a thing we must pursue, point two. And mutual discipline is a thing that is accepted as a tool for restoring one another and ensuring that as a community, we are constantly uh, pursuing the holiness without which no man would see God. May the Lord help us in our pursuit of a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees not to fall off the horse on the side of sinful, sinfully judging our brothers, on the side of taking the insignificant things in the fellowship and making them the major things. He spunked the child with his hand and not with the spanking implement. You know, sometimes those kind of things
1: are so magnified.
0: He drives a very new car, showing himself to be wealthy. But he drives a very beat car. He's not giving a good example. He
1: has more than five children. He is being
0: careless. For he has none. He is being worldly. In his sermon, there are no examples. He is not being relevant. Or in his sermon, there are too many examples. He is being worldly. And we can go on and on and just criticize one another so much here that we end up becoming like This situation in a family where a young man kept bringing potential wives to the mother, and the mother would just vehemently reject them. He tried with this one. The mother would just say, no, 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 It was impossible for the mother to find anything to appreciate in the girls who would be brought to him by the son. And this man was now exasperated, and his friend told him, this is what you... I would suggest you go do go look for a girl that is exactly like your mother. And he, looked, and he 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 looked, and finally he gets one and brings him to the mother. And after a few weeks, the friend is eager to hear, how did it go when you took the girl to your mom? And he says, my mom really liked her but my dad could not stand. And so we we can live a life here that we just negatively criticising one another, not showing biblical love, not correcting one another with tears. When you're correcting one another, when we are correcting one another, it ought to be in the language of Paul, he did not cease to warn the Ephesians day and night with tears. Yes, warning,
1: but compassionately warning one another. So let us
0: avoid these reasons for judgmentalism. Let's embrace those three suggested cures, abused, must As a way of saying, I want this to be a matter of conscience for you. Don't be indifferent about it. You must accurately see God's holiness and his commands. You must see yourself with humility and contrition. You must see yourself. And, and you, sorry, the last point is you must. See your brothers with a truly helpful correction. Sorry for that mistake. Helpful correction. And I use must intention. The Lord is here protecting us from something we don't want to have happening to us. If God treated us as we have treated others in sinful judgmentalism, who would stand? none of us